0: Real noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.
2: Join us for a journey as we go back to the great civilizations of the past. Who were the people? What were they like? How did they begin? And how did they end? Let's find out on this episode, A Fan of History. Hello, Dan. Hello, Bernie. How are you?
1: I am good. I'm moving. So there's a lot of stuff going on there, but I have to do a fan history.
2: Of course. We're going we're gonna to get into, we're still doing the 590s, right?
1: Yes. And the empire is going further and further away back in time. But I do have something about the Assyrian Empire this time. The very last thing about the Assyrian Empire. What is it? I'll tell you when we get there.
2: Oh, all right. Good.
1: But first, I need to do more about bear paws.
2: Yes. Remember, we talked about bear paws in our episode on China. So I said I promised the listeners and you I would look it up. And bear paws apparently is a Chinese delicacy. It's actual bear paws. It's not a piece of pastry? No, that's a bear claw. Okay. (laughs) We call those bear claws. But bear paws, an actual bear's... Ha uh, wait, wait a minute. It, you take the paw from
1: a bear and you eat it?
2: Apparently, yeah.
1: Okay, tell me.
2: Well, it, it tastes good. They say, they say it's like a pork cooked at the right time and temperature. but Smooth and soft, not as greasy as fat pork. So um, it was first, uh, one of the last um, Zhou, Zhou emperors, um, he liked it. He's, he had a reputation as a torturer, a drinker, and a host of extravagant orgies, and he served bear paw at them. And I have the recipe here too. It's got one bear paw, two ounces of honey, a teaspoon of salt, twenty ounces of chicken broth, a third ounce of ginger, and seven seven ounces of grain alcohol. <laughs> so seven ounces of grain alcohol knock you out.
1: So you'll get drunk. Maybe it's like the, the sour herring. You have to get drunk to stomach this.
2: Maybe. I don't know. If you maybe when you get drunk when you're hanging, you won't feel it as bad. That's why you wanted to eat the bear paw. I don't know, but yeah, it's one of the eight rarities of China. For the you know, for for food. Uh, the eight rarities? Yeah, there's eight different rarities. Chinese uh Chinese food. Tell um, me about them. I could tell you some of them here, yeah. There's well the bear claw, it's number two. There's this other one. It's like a lion's mane or monkey head mushroom. A lot of them are mushrooms. They're like really rare mushrooms. This one um, is known as a vegetarian meat. So then there's – this one I just think is really interesting. The edible's bird's nest.
1: Is it a it's real nice.
2: bird's nest? Yeah. Yeah, apparently it's, it's made by swiftlets with their saliva and feather. What's so a swiftlet? It's like a, like a small swift, like a bird, a little bird. <laughs> yeah okay it's rich in protein sugar and minerals the, and it's good for women's beauty but they it's the the reason it's so rare is you have to like really process it you have to cook it for hours and hours put some sugar in it and then eat a little bit at a time sharks, oh, okay fin. yeah yeah bird's nest sharks finn another we call a bird's nest do you have a bird's nest? we call a bird's nest when you cook um an egg inside of a, a piece of toast
1: Okay, we, we do not have bird's nest in the Swedish uh, no. menus, no.
2: Yeah, it's not an actual bird's nest. You take, a, you take a, a, an egg, you cut a little hole. I mean, you take a piece of bread, you cut a little hole in it, and you put the egg in it and you fry it. That's a bird's nest. Okay. Yeah. Caterpillar fungus is another one. What's That's that? That's number five. That is uh, it's, um, the larva of the bat mouth. It's very expensive because it's got um, numerous... Health benefits regulates your immune system. It's anti-tumor, anti-fatigue, moistens your lungs, strengthens your kidney. It could be soaked in liquor or hot water. So, um, no, it sounds kind of good. Yeah. yeah, yummy caterpillar. It's probably better than sour strumen. Sour strumen. Anyway, we have another mushroom. It's called the king of fungi. It's matsutake. This is cool because it only survives in a virgin forest with no pollution or human intervention. No one has ever successfully planted it. It takes five years for it to grow, and it only stays fresh for, at the most, 48 hours.
1: That sounds very so, expensive.
2: Yeah, special food. I don't know if they have that in America or Sweden either. Uh, no. And the last two is the, uh, is the sea, cu- sea cucumber, the leoning sea cucumber. It grows very slowly; it takes about five years, so that's why that's expensive. Also, supposed to be good for you. And then the last one is the morel mushroom. I think I've heard of those.
1: I can't uh, complain about mushrooms. Mushrooms are delicious.
2: I love mushrooms. I just made some paella last night with mushrooms. But, but, but to the be clear, th- pa- oh, sorry.
1: To be clear, Fanno History does not support eating shark fins.
2: No, I I agree with that. I believe that that's something that we're not supposed to do. Okay, maybe we should go back to history. Yeah, we will go back to history. That's sort of historical. The bear claw, though, I imagine that's expensive because it's pretty hard to, you know, kill a bear.
1: Yes, uh, we in uh, Jamtland, the region in Sweden, they shot uh, two hundred and twenty brown bears in uh, legally uh, this year because the bear population is getting too big. Ah. But I didn't know about this. I didn't ask any hunter I know to get a bear paw for me, but I might next year.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that would be about 800 bear paws, 900.
1: (laughs) That would be extremely good to sell to, to the Chinese embassy.
2: Yeah, for sure.
1: Okay, this episode is the sort of general timeline for the 590s, except for then Greece and India and China and everything we talked about in the other episodes. And in the upcoming episode...
2: Right, right. We have one coming up too on Jerusalem.
1: So we have some uh, general events here that we haven't talked about anywhere else. It's about the year 600 uh, that the Celts settle Iberia, that is the Iberian Peninsula where Porto- Portugal and Spain are located yeah. today. And we'll run into the Celto Iberians later, but for now they are there. They uh, have some intruders at the coast. Uh, Greeks are getting close and the Phoenicians of course but the Phoenicians are not interested in conquest they're interested in trade mm-hmm. and we know they've been there for 300 years already right we mentioned them in the 900s
2: yes for sure and we know that Marseille was founded around here too and the Celts and the and the Greeks are starting to mingle a little bit
1: yeah that's pretty close to uh, Iberia as well
2: yep for sure
1: there is a historical statuette from this era as well, the Hirschlanden warrior, a sandstone representation of a Celtic warrior from Germany at this time. So the Celts are around. They are in France. They are in, uh, yeah, I guess, the lowlands, the Belgium and the Netherlands. Yeah. They are in uh, Germany. And they are now intruding in Tiberia as well. But
2: but, they're farmers, right? Oh, yes. Every, everybody is.
1: That has any kind of civilization at this point.
2: Yeah. Yes, that's true by this point.
1: And we are now 200 years from the major showdown between the Celts and the Romans, which we'll talk a lot about in about 5,000 episodes. (laughs) You're right. Uh, Remember the Persians? I do. They will steal this show very shortly. Yeah, more
2: shortly than we realize
1: yeah but for now they are the minions of the Medes, yeah the vassals of the Medes, but they do have a leader, the king of Anshan mm-hmm. uh, Cyrus I and it's about this year, probably, that he dies and is succeeded okay. by his son, Cambyses the first okay, dating the Persians uh, will get better, but for now it's all uncertain. Yeah, yeah. But at some point around here, the new king, Cambyses I, has a son, his firstborn
2: child. What's his name?
1: Oh, he'll name him after his father. So his name is Cyrus. Mm. Mm, interesting.
2: He may uh, have a good future, this boy. Oh <laughs> Yes, he will. <laughs> he
1: will probably be the most famous person we will discuss in this show. Uh, up to date, when uh, he starts getting going, but right now he's an infant or maybe mm. not even born yet. His mother was Mandane, the daughter of Astyages. Uh, king Astyages. Of, Astyages, the king of media.
2: Yeah. yeah.
1: So... Um, I don't know how much we should talk about Cyrus here,
2: well, I know I mean that kind of shows you that Cyrus, this guy who was going to become famous, as I'm sure a lot of fans of history know he you know they know who we're talking about. Uh, this is um, Cyrus the great of course and he, so this shows you he's half mead and half Persian, and Persians are sort of like Medes They're, you know uh, don't don't
1: say that to the Persians
2: <laughs> no <laughs> um, but you know the Greeks sort of interact inter what's the word I'm looking for are they Interuse the term, you know. uh, Herodotus calls all the Persians Medes, and so Cyrus's mother was a Mede, and his father was a Persian. Yes,
1: Um, Herodotus, of course, also gives a mythological account of Cyrus's early life, but maybe we should save that for later.
2: I think we'll save that for later when we cover him. But we could say that he's lucky he lived, because you know the story is he's sort of like you know. like Jesus, like Moses, like all the famous people that some, they try to kill him before, he's, before he gets going.
1: He's one of the many characters who steal the origin story of Sargon the Great. Oh,
2: Sargon was supposed to be killed as a child?
1: Yes, it's the, the Moses story, Superman, etc. They're all, all the story of Sargon the Great. Yeah. But that was in uh, 2200 BC, so we haven't talked about him too much.
2: No. No, you got the baby in the basket. You got the baby who wants to get killed. Somebody saves him. We have a Romulus and, you know, very common story. Yes. So Cyrus has one as well.
1: But this podcast will become the Cyrus the Great Show in the 550s. So yeah. we we like to plant him here.
2: Yes. Yeah, I think that's good that we plant him here because you get the, you know, you're starting to get in the background of what's happening. I always like to say that.
1: So we'll we'll mention him again, again in the 580s.
2: Yeah, for sure. And now we have a sponsor. We do. Don't forget to check out our sponsor. You know, some podcasts have sponsors. Remember Casper mattresses? Well we have Marduk's Mattress Emporium. If you wanna make love like a God, you have to get a you have to get a mattress from Marduk's Mattress Emporium. You could catch you could catch them in any of the major cities around the Near East, even the new stores in Thebes and Memphis. Remember I always say the mattresses are Guaranteed to be 85% free of bedbugs and stinging insects. And you just tell them Fan of History sent you and you'll get a 10% discount. Marduk's Mattress Emporium. Thank Check you. You're welcome. <laughs> In-
1: <laughs> uh, Nebuchadnezzar is the main character of our show now. Yeah, and it seems he spent the year 600 BC in uh, in Babylon, and the chronicles excuses him by saying that he stayed in Babylon to refit his numerous horses and chariotry.
2: Ah, and right. that could very well be true. Get some more arrows, right? I mean, how many arrows they've been using up?
1: As he's probably copying the Assyrian strategy, he is using a lot of arrows.
2: Yeah, I'm sure they are.
1: In uh, 599, it's time to go to war again. He's beginning to look more and more like an Assyrian king mm-hmm. as he marches his army into the Levant and attacks and raids the Arabs in the Syrian desert. So, uh, beat them up. Two pronged attack. Uh, apparently, he was successful, but uh, historians can't decide what he actually earned by this. So, there is no major change.
2: Yeah, just kind of like robbed them and burned down their tents and stuff those times.
0: To find out if it's right for you, Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get fifteen percent off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com/acast, and up to twenty-five percent off outdoor.
1: Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. But now, the very, very last ga- gasp of the Assyrian Empire. Oh, yeah? In 599, in Durkatlimu, once a powerful city, once a powerful city in the Mitanni empire long before we began of history yeah. then the capital of a new assyrian province in the 13th century bc founded by Shalmaneser I but oh. it is this place called today tell shikamad okay where the last records are found apparently in a cellar in this place, somebody was writing down something that indicated that he was the king of Assyria and he intended to reclaim the empire. So we have, oh. like, we have like... I didn't notice. We have like some notes from a meeting. Like, <laughs> guys, okay, things might look grim. We are in this cellar, <laughs> but... And the Babylonians are everywhere. But at least it's us five. And we can do this. <laughs> the
2: Judean front, like those guys.
1: Yes, but sadly they could not. And then the record ends. And the Assyrians are finally silent.
2: Is that it? Did the Nebuchadnezzar go after them, or they just they just fizzled out on their own? Or
1: oh, maybe they got jobs. <laughs>
2: This We got hired by Marduk's Mattress Emporium.
1: This is geographically quite close to Carchemish, and it's in old neo hittite territory. Oh, gotcha. But uh, now the empire is the Babylonian empire, 100%.
2: Yeah. It does say, I, in the Babylonian Chronicle, I think it says in 599 that he, he mustered his troops and marched into the Hattie land. So maybe he went and stomped them out, those five guys. Oh, maybe he did. Yeah,
1: well, yeah, we have the the Babylonian Chronicle here.
2: Yeah, they call it the Jerusalem Chronicle because you know that's a big part of it. I, I didn't. I realize also at some point around now that um, Ashkelon was destroyed. I see. You know, um, like you know, the Assyrians kind of left the Philistines alone, but it seems like Nebuchadnezzar just he destroyed Ashkelon. I think he, had, he just didn't want to deal with them. The Assyrians used to have like. They're kind of like a protection racket, you know? They would have their own um, tax collectors and stuff by ports and things like that. And then they would, because they found this archaeology of different cities, and Phoenician and the Philistine cities, where there'd be like two buildings. There'd be like the local tax collectors, and then there's the Assyrian ones. They're overseeing everything, making sure they're getting their cut. So they would, you know, they'd fight and beat you up if you didn't pay up. But it seems like Babylonians didn't want to, you know... I don't know. Maybe they were too overextended. They didn't want to have to try to have put out fires everywhere. So they just like flattened it. That was the end of Ascalon.
1: I guess they're pretty stressed with their new empire and all.
2: Yeah. Because in the 70s, we're going to see they destroyed another. They destroy another city, a on the, on the Phoenician city. I see. So, Yeah. He likes to march around like Assyrians, but he really knocks things down. Yeah, really. We think about it because we know what happens in Jerusalem too.
1: <laughs> yes, yeah, number
2: on the Levant.
1: <laughs> we are going to do some special episodes about the Babylonians and Jerusalem. And uh, in 598, Jeconiah succeeds Jehoiakim as the king of Judah. Yeah, in Jerusalem, and then stuff happens. Should we talk about that here, or do you want to save that for the other episode?
2: I think we'll save it for the episodes. We have it covered really good. We we actually already have it ready to go, and it's um I recorded an episode with Gil from uh, a podcast of Biblical Proportions, and he's a really good expert on you know this this part of history. He's really I- into the details, so.
1: As I understand it, we have two major Babylonian attacks on Jerusalem: one in five ninety seven, yeah. one in five eighty seven. Correct. So we'll do episodes on those after the five nineties and cover both the events in five ninety seven and five eighty seven.
2: Correct. Yeah, I mean, essentially, what happens is he comes in and he changes the king. The, ba- the Jerusalem doesn't um, doesn't fight this at this point. He's, the, the king has changed. That's the beginning of the first Babylonian captivity, which is a real important episode for the Bible. So a lot of the Bible was written while they're in captivity in Jerus in Babylon. So that's why the king was switched, and he um that, that the, the current king got sent to Babylon to live in, as you'll see, it he, he didn't live so bad. He sort of a gilded cage.
1: Uh, yeah, so we'll move on to other events in five ninety seven. Yeah. The Babylonian army goes west again, but turned back immediately after reaching the Euphrates. Hmm. Uh, And then there is a weird event. Remember Elam?
2: Yeah, this is weird.
1: Yes, and it's uh, sort of broken in the Chronicle. So from the Chronicle then, in the ninth year... The king of Akkad and his troop march along the banks of the Tigris. Uh, something is gone. The king of Elan. Something is gone. The king yeah. of Akkad. Uh, something. Which is on the bank of the Tigris. He pitched his camp. While there was still a distant of one day's march between them. The king of Elan was afraid and panic falling on him. He returned to his own land. Yeah, And this seems... Extremely strange, as we know, Elam was con- destroyed by yeah. uh, Ashurbanipal, and then it sort of the remains were taken by the Persians.
2: Seriously, that is really weird. I, it, I wonder, is like a faction, or because yeah, the Persians are there. We know that we uh, they do still in. have a king. I guess so, one king somewhere, and we know his Where name. Was... Yeah, maybe Susa. He maybe he had some king in Susa. Uh, this guy is Humban
1: Kitin, the son of Shutur Nahunte.
2: That's definitely an Elamite name.
1: Yes, and everything else seems to point to the fact that they are actually ruled by the Medes or their lackeys, the Persians. Yeah. But we will have in the 580s a record from the Bible against... a, a record from the Bible about the state of Elam. Mm. So in 587, I will give you another... Elamite fact.
2: It is interesting. I, I saw that there was. Some, I posted a couple. Of, maybe it's over a month ago. They they might be starting to finally be able to decipher some Elamite um, script. That will be amazing because there is Elamite. They write in cuneiform, but we don't know what it says.
1: Yes, their language is weird.
2: Yeah, yeah. up and stuff like that with those names. Do
1: you remember
2: Vasco da Gama? I do. I mean, I didn't know him personally, but I've heard of him. <laughs> uh, do you remember what he did? He sailed around the world. Oh, he sailed around Africa. Oh, he sailed around Africa. That was Magella that went around the world. Yes. Uh, but
1: here we have a record of somebody sailing around Africa. Hmm. 2,100 years before Vasco da Gama. He
2: sailed all the way around Africa. So we're not talking about Hanno. We're talking about somebody else. We're talking about Hanno. We are. Hanno the Navigator.
1: But this is, of course, highly contested. Yeah. At some point, between 610 and 594, Neko, the pharaoh, yeah. reputedly commissioned an expedition. <clears throat> and if you want to have a great naval expedition, why would an Egyptian pharaoh want that? But... If you did want that kind of expedition, you had to go to the best sailors around, and they are, of course, the Phoenicians. Mm -hmm.
2: So So do you think it would be a Phoenician or like a Carthaginian Phoenician?
1: The difference is still not very clear what uh, is Carthage and what is Phoenicia. But uh, this guy is from Carthage, I think.
2: Well, Hanno would be. I think you makes know, you do an episode on Hanno because I have a lot of research on that. And Hanno, oh, I know that, probably will. Yeah, because there's because there there was until the Romans destroyed it. There was information. There was like a I forget what you call it, and we'll cover it in the episode. But there was you know basically like a proclamation, some of his description of Hanno's you know trip. Around Africa, but I don't think Hanno went all the way around Africa. He only, went, he only went like halfway around.
1: I was getting to that, but we'll save that oh, for sorry. for the five eighties then.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll do that in the five eighties. I have a, and I'll give a shout out to um, the Explorers podcast. I have a, I have a friend is uh, Matt from the um, Explorers podcast, and he helped. He has a, a full podcast on that too, and he he helped me out with some of the research.
1: Okay, so we'll do a full episode on Hanno.
2: Yeah, for sure. And the gorillas. Yes, and the gorillas. (laughs) Maybe I'll put some of the gorillas with the Z at the end, band in that.
1: And this is the point where we leave the II as the pharaoh, because he dies in 595. Oh, yeah, he does. You're right. Yes, and we have then the II, or Samiticus II, as the new pharaoh.
2: Yes, he won't be feral for very long. There's a little bit of a spoiler, but he is. And I don't know why it says that some people say that he might have removed Neko's name from his father's monuments, and some say yes, and some say no. And I mean, they seem like a nice family. I don't know. <laughs> so the
1: rumor, is such a brat. the rumor is that Samtec went around and removed his father's name from all the monuments for some unknown reason. But this is also contested.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's one this family. You remember this family started back with Necho the I, right? Remember, he's the one who sweet talked Ashurbanipal into not getting killed.
1: Yes. Ashurbanipal put back the Egyptians as the pharaohs of Egypt. They hadn't been the exactly. pharaohs for a very long time. Exactly. All Libyans and uh, Kush between yeah, them. Yeah, right. Exactly. So in 595, Nebuchadnezzar is chilling in Babylon, but then there is a rebellion. Yeah. In Akkad, which is like Babylonia. Yeah. And the chronicle tells us, quote, With arms he slew many of his own army. His own hand captured the enemy. In the month of Sabato or Adaru, it's unclear, in the spring of 594, he marched to the Hattiland, where kings and officials came before him, and he received their heavy tribute, and then returned to Babylon. End quote. So uh, there was unrest in Babylonia. That's
2: all we know about it. That's all we know. It's pretty interesting, right? I mean, he seems like such a strong ruler and wouldn't go against him. I guess every time he went out to the land or to the Levant, then something would happen on the east. Like the Elamites came out and then he had a rebellion. It's not easy being king, you know.
1: Yeah, this uh, once again feels a lot like the Assyrian Empire.
2: I know. It's like whack-a-mole, too. Like, every time you go on, it's, someone's coming at you on the other side. Yeah, that's, that's all we know about that rebellion. But it must have been, you know, yeah, that's how it goes.
1: Meanwhile, in Egypt, Samtik II is not looking to confront Nebuchadnezzar because the Babylonians are super dangerous at this point. So he instead looks south.
2: Yeah.
1: It's kind of Interesting where the kings of Kush are like running their copy of Egypt still. So Samtik leads an incursion into Nubia in 592 BC, and maybe getting as far as the third or even the fourth cataract of the Nile. Puts up uh, Stele in Thebes, telling them that uh, everything went well, we inflicted a heavy defeat on the kingdom of Kush, and we also have some uh, Greek uh, graffiti on a left leg of a colossal city statue of Ramses II on the south side of the entrance to the Temple of Abu Simbel.
2: It's pretty interesting, I know, right? It's like the Greeks are like carving into the statues.
1: Like yeah, the, the Greeks are much more um, uh, verbal than the, the Egyptians. So this uh, graffiti says, "quote." When King Samedicus came to Elephantine, this was written by those who sailed with Samedicus, the son of Theocles, and they came beyond Kirkis as far as the river permits. Those who spoke foreign tongues were led by Potasimto, the Egyptians led by
2: Amasis. Yeah, it's quite a carving. I guess it helps to have an alphabet as opposed to hieroglyphics. <laughs> Incredibly informative. <laughs> I know, right? For graffiti, it's not like you know, like the Romans—they drawn drawing penises on the walls and stuff.
1: <laughs> and in order for this graffiti to survive, it had to be carved, right, and not to like sketched.
2: Yeah, not like a tag, like you know, on the side of a train or something.
1: And also very clean. There are no, not like the Roman soldiers who drew, drew mail reproductive yeah. organs wolves <laughs> in
2: Britain. <laughs> yeah, it's funny how you find this stuff, you know what I mean? Like, well, maybe back in those days, you're like, look at those Greeks. They're messing up our monuments. But now we're like, hey, thanks. 2,500 years later, we got the information.
1: And Maybe it's these Greek mercenaries that helped Samtik in this invasion. Uh, Kirkis, which was mentioned in the graffiti, is actually near the fifth cataract of the Nile. So now we are far into Kush,
2: Oh yeah, he was just beating up Cush. I think pretty sure there was um, there was Jewish mercenaries too. There was they had the mercenaries from the Levant and stuff. Because this was they were um, this was the time where the different factions were going on and, and there, and a lot of um, people from Israel, well, I should say Judah, were moving into uh, Egypt, and they had a lot of mercenaries. Elephantine had a had a whole Jewish community. Yes,
1: there, it's actually, there's a Jewish temple, there's yeah. a huge temple time, which is uh, super weird, but that's a subject for another episode. Because yeah. yeah. uh, the Jews did only build temples in Jerusalem.
2: Yeah, but they had one there. There was even a letter where there was like they were asked, they were sent messages. I remember reading about how to worship properly because they kind of worship multiple gods at that one in Egypt. They didn't know they were supposed to just worship Yahweh.
1: You know what you have to have in order to have a Jewish temple instead of a synagogue? What? Wow. The Ark of the Covenant. hmm <laughs> But that's another story. <laughs> yeah. Um, so this war, there has been peace between Egypt and uh, Nubia for a long time. But it seems that this copy of Egyptian culture was actually getting pretty powerful. So this mm. was a preemptive strike from Samtik.
2: Yeah, I think so. That's my opinion. Otherwise, grabbed-
1: the, the Kushites would have come back to uh, reinvigorate uh, the 25th dynasty.
2: Exactly. Yeah, I think he just he grabbed his got his mercenaries together. You know, I mean, figure, imagine <clears throat> Greek mercenaries versus the uh, Nubians must have been, I mean, probably a what's the word like an unfair fight sort of because you don't see the Nubians like all armored up like you see Greeks. So you could just, you know, mostly they're bowmen. So you see these armored Greeks coming down with their heavy weapons, just, like, wipe them out.
1: That must have been so hot for them.
2: Oh, could you imagine?
1: But the, Egyptian, tough, the Egyptian campaign gets uh, to the capital of Kush, Napada. Yeah. And uh, defeats it. They loot the temples and they destroy a lot of royal Kushite statues. Yeah. So the Kushite capital is sacked, and we have uh, the Year 3 Karnak Stele from the Egyptians telling us the following. Quote, The army that your majesty sent to Nubia has reached the land of Pnoobs. Mm-hmm. Nubians from all parts of Kush had arisen against him, their hearts full of anger when he attacked those who had rebelled against him there because he was furious at those who had arisen against him. His Majesty took part in the combat as soon as he reached the battle. The rebels capitulated before a single arrow was unleashed against them. Those who tried to flee did not succeed and were brought back as prisoners, 4,200 men. End quote. Ah. And it seems that this crushing defeat then uh, will prevent any further Kushite ambitions into main Egypt.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think he's just trying to secure the border, just go down there, whack them up, you know? Yeah, he definitely did not want
1: to uh, sort of uh, reinvent the new kingdom, which included Kush. But he doesn't want Kush, he just wants to not have to think about his south border.
2: Yeah, exactly. I, that's what I. That's what it looks like to me. He's just, you know, he's just uh, securing his borders.
1: Yeah, and they were specifically targeting monuments of the twenty fifth dynasty, as they were kings of both Kush and Egypt. So right. They hacked out their names and the emblems of royalty, especially the Egyptians' emblems of royalty, from their statues and reliefs.
2: Yeah, I think. Um, if I remember correctly, they even in the. Current, today, like the 25th dynasty is almost like we try to forget about it. When they, the, the museum in Cairo, I, I think it was, we mentioned in one of the podcasts, they, they sort of skipped the whole dynasty, try to sort of erase its memory, sort of like a foreign, you know, occupation.
1: Oh, yeah, but they were fine with the
2: Libyans? Yeah, they're okay with Libyans. They just don't like Nubians.
1: Uh, but now, with his southern border secure, Samtik can now get involved in the events in the Levant. And mm-hmm. in 591, he launches an expedition into Palestine to, like, cement the resistance against the Babylonians. Right. And he probably gets some people in Jerusalem uh, very positive about this.
2: Well, he definitely does. Like Zedekiah, the bonehead. <laughs> That's what I call Zedekiah, the bonehead. <laughs>
1: <laughs> more yeah. about that in our mm-hmm. uh, Jerusalem episodes
2: absolutely that's what they should be named in history Zedekiah the bonehead <laughs> anyway that's what we'll name this episode well I can't <laughs> don't do that <laughs> no <laughs> tell me about uh,
1: Aliates and Croesus
2: so uh, Aliates so Alyattes is still around but he's getting older so Croesus is his son And he was a governor and he built some, um, he built a a center for military actions against the Cimmerians. So this is when, um, they finally, the Lydians finally rid, rid themselves of the Cimmerians. So, um, so Croesus is going to come Croesus is another person that's going to be in our story, like Cyrus, these two, they're sort of, they're coming together to be, uh, come to a head at some point.
1: Uh, this is another another guy from Lydia with the reputation of being super rich, right?
2: Correct. Yeah, rich as Croesus. like Midas was with way before. And of course, can't forget that Gyges is the start of this, the start of this dynasty. So if you're playing fan of history bingo, yes, Bernie said Gyges again. <laughs> <laughs> but there's a little continuation to a story we talked about. Remember we said that Aliates and his father before him were always raiding the Miletus, and they were um, they were just going in and they'd burn down their crops and kind of beat them up and then go home and steal their crops and do all that. So the Miletians, I should say. So Herodotus has another further story about this. <clears throat> Excuse me. During one of these um, one of these marches, when he would go in and do that, he burned down the. Accidentally, the wind blew and they burned down the temple of Athena. So then, Alietes got sick. So he um, went to the and he wasn't getting better. So he went to the Oracle of Delphi and they said, well, "We're not talking to you until you rebuild that temple of you burned. It got burned down. That's not cool." But a representative from the Milesians was there and kind of heard about what happened. I mean, of course, this is from Herodotus, our friend. He likes to tell a good story, so he heard what happened. So then they were going to make like sort of make some kind of a truce, you know. With the, I mean, Al wanted to make a truce, but to make it to make the terms come out even better, what they did was when the Herald from from Lydia was coming into the city, and um, the Milesian city. They said, let's get all this food together because don't forget they're burning all their food. They figured they're on their last legs, right? Let's, let's get all this food together and we'll make like we're having a big feast, like everything is great. So when the, when the herald came in, he saw all these people having a huge feast. And then he sent the message back to the king. He said, they're like really good. They're having feasts and everything. There's no problem. So Alietes built two temples to Athena there and they became friends and they stopped, they stopped you know, raiding them and, and doing that to uh to the Miletians. which you kind of needed to because what's happening is um the medes are starting to come you know because the babylonians and the medes you know divided up you know their areas of influence and the medes you know they already knocked out urartu so next on line would be anatolia and which is the lydians so they're going to start um rubbing up against each other
1: Uh, urartu will survive until our next episode
2: yeah, but the Medes are all over it there. The Cimerians are all run out. The Medes are all over there, you know, and the Medes are starting to going to start to bump up against the Lydians. Oh, it's just, you know, when they said, I just want to address this one thing because my somebody asked me, very special person to me, I said, how does a building, how does a stone building burn down? And I said, you know, I forget, but I know they do. So like how did this temple of athena burn down so what happens is a couple of things usually there's wood inside of these things like beams and stuff like that holding things up so furniture that burns, yeah stuff furniture that'll burn and that'll so two things either the, the beams make everything fall or it gets so hot that the stone doesn't actually burn but it cracks and it all cl- crumbles and it looks like you know it just crashes like ashes and dust so that's how a stone building burns down
1: Well, I can imagine uh, burning down a temple would cause
2: some grief. Oh yeah, you, you do not do that. The gods are gods are very, very you know, picky. What's the word? Picky. <laughs> Absolutely, they don't like that. Easily That's aggravated. Right. Easily aggravated. Absolutely.
1: In uh, in our last episode or last regular episode of the 590s, we we'll talk about the romance. And okay. About Cortis, and we'll wrap up the Middle East next time. Okay, but that's uh, that's uh, next time.
2: All right, let's do that. Do you what want to mention
1: uh, what's new in history?
2: I do. Tell me about we, it. I, thank you. You're going to hear some new episodes. They're going to be in our regular feed. We're going to do them every other week still for now until I can get more in. But we have two episodes. Well, we'll probably have three episodes right away, and it's uh, it's called "What's New in History." couple of them are just going to be me you're just going to hear just bernie uh, doing them and uh, i'm not going to tell you what they're about yet because they're going you'll have to find out but basically there's you know history is not a static thing it's not just this is exactly what we know we there's constantly scholars archaeologists dna experts just all kinds of stuff that comes up that's new and so and it's all areas of history it will be so i have a couple that we have ready to go and it's, like I said, it's just what's new in history, and sort of the slogan is, "The future is a mystery, but what's new in history?"
1: <laughs> this is so exciting because I, I've encountered this uh, during the eight years we have been doing Phanohistory. history, that then suddenly something new appears about these events that were two thousand six hundred years ago.
2: Right. Yeah. There's like there's like you know ground penetrating radar. We have DNA studies. I mean, just from the time I got my history degree in 1990, so many many new things have come out. So we're going to try to help you guys keep up with them, sort of put the information together, tell you what's new in history, and, you know, I hope you guys like it. Check it out.
1: And that's also a good place to put any updates in case our old episodes
2: uh, are now old news. That's a good idea. I'll make sure I keep that in mind. Yeah, for sure.
1: Until then, check out our Facebook and uh, our uh, not-that-active YouTube channel. And remember that we uh, we very much appreciate your sponsorship on Patreon. So, patreon.com, search for Fano History. And if you give us uh, a dollar or two per episode, we would be very happy. And we could keep be. this show going until World War Two in about <laughs> 10,000 episodes. <laughs>
2: When we get to the 580s, it'll be 100 years that I've been doing the show, and that seems like 100 years. (laughs)
1: I've been doing the show for 410 years now.
2: Yeah, you have. I love it, though. I do. I love it. I love the listeners. I love it. I appreciate it. You know that. Yeah, so until next time. Okay, cheers. Take care.
1: Sky can hear me. Bernie can't hear me.
2: I'll figure this out in a second. I see it.
1: Good. Go get it. I
2: got it. I got it. <laughs>
1: Good. Do you hear me?
2: Yeah. I hear you. Nice. Yeah, I'm getting a little bit better at this shit.
0: <laughs> if you enjoyed this
2: podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Patreon.com slash fan of history. Just a dollar an episode would help us out. Thanks, and see you next time.